Greetings and thanks for joining me. I'm here with Kristen Siegel, who's the head of Europe, Middle East and Africa for the Tonic Network. And we're here to talk about driving evidence-based practice in ESG and impact investing, which is the document that's just come out from Bravo Charlie. And Kristen, wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Philip. Great to be here. Yeah. Could you give us a little intro to what, what is the Tonic Network? Yeah, absolutely. Now, Tonic Network um, is a global network of uh, pri mostly private impact investors. Currently, we have 500 members worldwide, and really it is mostly high net wealth individuals, family offices, foundations um, across the continent, certainly North America and Europe, Middle East and Africa, which I represent, are the two biggest regions, though we're also quite, uh, growing quite a bit in APAC, also including Australia. Hmm. And are you getting a difference in the different regions, like what's really motivating for people or is it fairly spread across the board? You know, has everybody got sort of an awareness of like, we need to be doing these things in these areas? Yeah, it is really interesting because I actually lived in San Francisco for five years and worked also for Tonic there. So kind of got into the impact ecosystem over there. And I would say probably specifically San Francisco, but maybe also the U.S. in general, is really a little bit more driven by social entrepreneurship. Mm. While when I came back to Europe, specifically now to Germany three years ago, it's really interesting that a lot of things have actually been covered by the social system so there wasn't as much social yeah. entrepreneurship needed yeah. and so that was one really interesting difference also i guess generally in thinking about like how do we think about entrepreneurship i would say like the us certainly specifically the bay area very very entrepreneurial minded also in terms of how do we let's see let's say failure right when like your startups do try a startup it doesn't quite work out um, then it's like rather like great you learned a lot mm. right and here in germany or like in europe it's still a little bit like oh this doesn't work out this is a failure so mm. i think that's certainly a different in mindset which is really interesting between north america and europe mm. and i guess also which i see in, um, in differences in terms of impact investing is that Maybe Europe was a little bit, you know, behind in the whole, you know, social entrepreneurship startup. But now everything around the EU taxonomy, you know, that actually the governments are pushing forward in terms of regulation. I think they're now Europe a little bit ahead and, you know, trying to avoid greenwashing, impact washing and things like that, where maybe in, let's say, specifically the U.S., there was more like private people, um, you know, individuals or like also private companies pushing a little bit more for impact. Mm. And I think that sort of fascinates me in relation to the scale of impact investing over the overall investment landscape and where the larger in, the larger investment landscape is probably more into large infrastructure plays and things like that. They just have much more capacity to wield large amounts of capital to transformational projects, whether or not they are um, socially orientated or focus on an impact lens. Yeah, I guess that's also interesting about Tonic because I mentioned we mostly work with private investors, so really not with institutional investors. Mm -hmm. And in that specific role, they are aware we as investors don't have the biggest capital. That certainly li lies with the institutionals, right? Pension funds, asset managers, and so on. But also our investors know they have probably the most flexible capital um, in terms of like, okay, this is my capital. I don't have to go through a CIO or like a big you know, um, decision tree. But if I want to do this, try this out, then I can do it. So mm -hmm. kind of this pioneering work almost and trying, let's say, alternative financing structures or like, you know, like way how to measure impact and things like that. That's really what our investors are, you know, yeah, 
trying out using the capital for, then getting uh, kind of the, the feedback, the learnings and sharing that out. And we also as Tonic want to support them with that. So mm. we actually, we are a membership network, but we also do quite a bit in terms of um, building up the impact ecosystem using a lot of the learnings from our members that we then, you know, package up into reports that we publish um, publicly for others to read. Yeah. And that proof of catapulting those proof of concepts into scale is the is the beautiful thing about it. It's because you've got the flexibility to do it as small teams with private capital that institutional people can then go, well, we can measure it. We can see it works. We'll take that. And now we can you know, use our pension funds with our mandates to legally actually put the money into these places and scale them. And it's such an exciting thing in that regard. Um, exactly. And like having some data available, right? This is often what mm. is needed for the investment offices to kind of prove like, okay, hey, this has already worked. So let's try to scale mm. it now. And yeah. you mentioned the EU taxonomy. And that's essentially what this is all about. What, what challenges do you see being created by greenwashing and impact washing uh, as a first thing? And then the sort of the regulatory, you know, that's it's coming, <laughs> the regulations. Yeah. Are coming. But I think inadvertent <laughs> people don't, there aren't, a lot of people aren't trying to greenwash. It just might be happening through a lack of data or a lack of rigor or a lack of process. It's like you wave the flag. We're going to, you can, this is good for everything. It's like, oh yeah, prove it. Mm, right. Um, yeah, so I've been in the impact space now for about eight years. Yeah, and the first four to to five years, it was still kind of really beating the bushes and saying like, "Hey, we also can't do impact investing, right? You can't have financial returns and have a positive impact." So that was, I guess, the first years where it was really more in the persuasive mode and like finding others who are thinking the same way. Mm-hmm. I would say the last three to four years, this really, which maybe was a trend, absolutely became a movement. And it's, at least here in Europe, it feels like everybody is talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it rather sees like, ooh, this is something, you know, that, I don't know, sometimes I think it definitely is genuine that we see the issues in the world and, okay, also realizing we can do something with our capital. And I think that's where greenwashing comes in, as you say. I think for a lot of people, it's not on purpose that they want to greenwash, but it's a little bit the risk that I see and really Tonic and ourselves stand for like deeper impact, like real, you know, impact on that that helps or like real solutions that help solve the problems that we have in the world and not a little bit like, oh, it sounds good. And maybe that, I guess, that is the biggest reason um, or the biggest problem with greenwashing that especially of investors who, you know, maybe are not so much into, you know, so deep in the um, in the issue and generally about uh, impact investing, that then, you know, they hear like, oh, great, you know, I invested in a sustainable fund and, you know, now I'm doing a lot of good. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, like I guess a lot of the products that partially that are out there suggest, you know, that they're really sustainable in the long term and are really contributing to solutions. But in the end, it's maybe just doing a tiny little bit, but not enough that we need. And I think that is as currently what, what I see the risk. And um, well, my background is actually in um, in banking. So I used to be a portfolio manager at a bank and I still um, am in contact with some of my former colleagues and also asset manager who like manage, you know, bigger funds, be it ETFs or also mutual funds. And I met them recently and it was really interesting because they certainly are also now pushed by, you know, the EU regulation, the SFDR, which is this um, sustainable finance disclosure, disclosure regulation, which is intact since March, where the asset managers have to actually yeah, disclose what they are doing in terms of sustainability. 
And there are these three kind of articles that you often hear now. It's Article 6, 8, and 9. Mm. And let's say when you have an Article 6 fund, it's not as sustainable. You know, there is more like, okay, you know, you do this and this and this, but it's not yet sustainable. So everybody is pushing for this Article 8, which is kind of, you know, a little bit around sustainability, really making it super easy right now. And obviously there's a lot more, you know, regulation around it. But then kind of Article 9 is really maybe what we would rather call a little bit more impactful. Um, and there I heard from a lot of asset managers like, oh, yeah, we tried Article 9, way too difficult, right? We'll rather not do that. But mm. still, everybody is pushing for this Article 8. And also, you know, something that maybe it to me feels like wouldn't actually fit into that this Article 6 is not good enough, right? There is kind of maybe also this pressure from society, like, oh no, Article 6 funds, I don't invest anymore, right? I definitely want to do something in terms of sustainability, which yeah. I guess is a general good movement, but we're just not yet there, I guess, also to maybe have, you know, all the products or so just also takes a little bit of transition time to adjust them. So mm -hmm. now I guess, you know, the asset managers are like, oh, we don't really want to greenwash, but somehow we also want to offer that. So um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, I guess. Plus, yeah. then maybe you also do have um, a few people who maybe in the beginning weren't maybe quite as genuine about, you know, general creating impact and rather like, great, okay, we can fit it in here, right? It sounds good. It's a good marketing tool. Let's do that. So yeah. I guess that's what I see currently on the market. And at scale, I was talking earlier with a, an asset manager the, earlier this morning um, about the process of divestment and simply whilst there is, you know, it's a good thing, arguably from a social license to operate, it moves it onto operators who may not be as uh, ethically minded uh, around acquiring assets that aren't having the best impact in the world. So it's a, it's a, it's a wicked problem to, you know, to take the the term, this idea that we're using <laughs> money within the constraints of a capitalistic system built on growth to affect change that arguably has been created by that system in the first place. Um, it's quite a... <laughs> it's, no, absolutely, it is. And I guess there also have been a few academic studies that like this part about, let's say, divesting, mm -hmm. it has a certain signaling effect, right? Mm -hmm. But actually, the academic studies have found that it, the effect or the impact of that divestment and signaling thing is not as big as you actually actively engage, for example, with yeah. companies. So, for example, you know, you keep actually your shares with a let's say, you know, fossil fuel supplier and like, you know, work with them, push with them to actually go, you know, to, to come up with a, you know, that's almost a new identity. I mean, certainly with a fossil fuel, you know, um, provider, it's a little bit difficult that, okay, we are creating energy. So in terms of like, um, you know, we are an oil producer, you would need to move your whole mission around like, we're actually creating energy and it doesn't have to be oil, right? It can also be something else. So there's certainly that does happen overnight. And there obviously also these big corporations also need uh, time and support and, you know, starting their thinking and evolving their thinking towards like, okay, how can we as company potentially still, you know, survive, but, you know, provide something better for the, for the world because certainly also maybe a tobacco company telling them like you're actually not needed anymore i mean how's that gonna unfold yeah that never never does yeah. you know, people and directors aren't going to give up their the legacy of their grandchildren because somebody's saying mm. you should shut down because we don't agree with you um and you know they got us here in the first place we've got the society we do because of these energy assets that have got us here to this level of technology and uh and quality of life so it is a wicked problem per se 
And the the argument for actually even bothering to measure things, I mean, if people have got money and they're out there creating impact in their hearts and in the faces of the people, um, their shareholders or their stakeholders who are, you know, their life's improving through the the businesses and the services that are being provided, um, do people even need to measure that or put in frameworks around it? Should they just not bother? Because, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> the whole point of this paper really is to get people quickly up to speed with the the massive amount of regulatory change coming across Europe, uh, the UK, yeah. and Australia. And I even say in the title, um, evidence-based progr- progress in ESG and impact investing, and they're fundamentally different things around single and double materiality and one's, you know, looking at risks to the business and the other's looking at impact on a societal level. Like there's, there's so much complexity here in what's going on. Um, yeah, why bother? <laughs> yeah, abso- no, absolutely. It is really, it is an interesting conversation that also we have a lot within the community. And certainly also that thinking is evolving quite a lot. Um, I guess several thoughts. I mean, in terms of when you think about ESG um, mostly, or like, you know, the let's say big capital, probably like we, you do need some some data, right? When we, when we get started, and I certainly got started more on the like, you know, social entrepreneur side where it was like, okay, maybe you also had a lot of storytelling, right? To see like how have the lives of people improved, for example, who got access to education or, you know, to basic services, things like that. Um, there, there's, or there's still kind of ongoing the conversation, like, do we put too much of the, on the entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that they are, you know, like, just measuring impact, but not actually doing their actual work anymore. So I guess there is really this this conversation between the investor and the investee of saying, okay, what what are you measuring maybe already, right? And if impact is inherent in your business model, then probably a general business KPI is already also an impact KPI. So Mm. where it, you know, makes it easy. So I think there, investors are a little bit cautious to say like, yes, you know, to measure it on the one hand side is important, but let's also not overdo it that they can still also focusing on building their, their company. Yeah, I guess on bigger companies there, it currently is where it feels like, well, a, you have a huge team, right? So it would be good if some resources you actually dedicate to measuring, like, what are you doing or like what harm maybe are you also doing mm-hmm. um, where there may be the, let's say, feel good stories are not good enough anymore. Because yeah. like saying like, well, it's nice that you have solar panels, you know, maybe on your on your roof and you recycle, you know, your <laughs> your your waste and things like that. So like, you know, how you do your business, that's one part, but it's also about what you do, right? And like what impact do you have with that? And I think this whole conversation is about also measuring scope one, two, and three. And certainly scope three is super difficult, right? In terms of just focusing now on the um greenhouse gas emissions. Obviously, there are way more um impact metrics. Um, so I guess that that is important to get a little bit of an idea like okay like because obviously also for the big companies investing right in more let's say greener or sustainable um, processes cost cost money and currently while we are still in this capitalistic system and measuring in money i think there also it needs to be a fair comparison of like which company really does try to change something and then also show the outcomes of that or maybe rather the outputs Versus another company who is maybe just saying they're doing it right and but not really proving it. So I think in that regard, I personally think that yes, we do, we should bother also, you know, measuring um, the positive and the negative impact that yeah. is coming out. It was put to me during the initial research I was doing anecdotally that you know if you don't have a theory of change, then you are greenwashing. And I went, oh, <laughs> but that they're like that's the point, you know, if you don't. If you don't know why you're setting out to do things and you just say we're doing it for good, then yeah, 
And it, it got it got me wondering. It's like, are you seeing families investing based on a succinct theory of change? Or are they more saying, we got wealth, we need to not burn everything down. Let's go do something good with it. Yeah. I guess it's interesting when you say like theory of change. I would say it definitely is a journey. It starts generally with the awareness of like, hey, we have to do something different and we also can do something with our capital. Mm. To have a real distinct written out theory of change, we see takes some time and that often can hinder people to get even started, right? To do something. Um, So sometimes we say like, yes, you do definitely want to have an intention and think about, you know, what are your values? What is important to you? Maybe also research, like what is the biggest issue right now in the world and where should we put our capital? I think that's mostly where at least the private investors are coming from, either from something, I don't know, like, you know, a a, a pediatrician really wants to work, right, on evaluating pain on on children, for example, Mm -hmm. then often, you know, they invest in that, you know, theme, but maybe others come from more like a yeah, evidence-based, maybe project drawdown, right? So like, what are the biggest solutions to our problems? Let's invest in them. So I think there are these are the two ways often private investors come at. And there where we say like, yes, you do want to, you know, think about your theory of change, but maybe also particularly in a family context, there are individual people who have, you know, their passion areas and um, uh, yeah, theory of changes maybe, but then how do you bring that together in a family context? So and that can be a process over potentially years. And where we say like, okay, maybe yes, that absolutely you need to start with, you know, your values and what's important to you, you know, and think about that. But maybe you don't have need to have a maybe also detailed investment policy statement that includes impact right from the start. But also you can like, you know, learn by doing a little bit. But yes, definitely you do want to get to that part. Like why are you actually doing what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And exactly. Yeah, what costs money. Extremely overwhelming to think that we've got to do something, and then the opportunity cost of spending two years doing something that potentially isn't as good as something else you could be doing. And you know, it's that sort of yeah, yeah. And obviously, the impact space is evolving quite rapidly, right? Something that that was really impactful three years ago, maybe now there is something else, another product, right? That is that is better, and then yeah. we'll adapt. So that that is maybe also for the traditional finance world really difficult to grasp because it used to be those those two metrics, return and risk, and now all of a sudden, also with impact measurement, we have different impact me- metrics. So obviously, that is a little bit overwhelming to grasp. Yeah. And where, like, what's your sphere of influence that you're measuring against? Is it individual community? you know, city, state, world, demographic, um, specific group. Yeah, it's just huge. Um, And how would you gauge their interest to measure their impact? And how are they going about Uh, it if they are? When you say they, who do you mean? Uh, So these the families you work with, they're on the journey, they're investing, they've gone Mm -hmm. like, right, we're going to do this, let's try that. Um, do they see in measuring their impact as part of the course and they're just they're going for it and grabbing systems and trying it out? Or is it a bit like, oh, let's get some traction first? Um, I think there also it varies depending on like maybe where they are in their journey. If they're just getting started, maybe this might be a little bit overwhelming. The mm-hmm. ones who are a little bit further down the path may also see like, okay, this is actually important to do. So, you know, let's, um, uh, I mean, there are like uh, over the last years, a bunch of uh, um, movements or like or also uh, projects, for example, the impact management project from the UK has really helped to come up a little bit of a standard where like, especially private investors, those families really appreciate, you know, using some of those standards and apply them to their own uh, portfolio. 
while again others are then cautioning of um, especially when they work with, with entrepreneurs of like let's not overdo it right we can also measure like too much um so i guess in that regard probably mostly with the entrepreneurs where they have a direct influence um you know they you know try to push a little bit for 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 impact more on the esg big corporations I think there it is actually appreciated what the regulation is coming up with to, you know, create a bigger data set. I mean, there's also data providers, right, that are collecting that now. So where also there, the private investors have realized, like, we don't have the capacity to do all that. And actually, it is good that also this movement is going there, that there are, you know, organizations and uh, companies who are doing that for them. Yeah. So for people watching, what's the quick start guide to getting into this? Is it join Tonic? turn up to some member events, you know, get in touch, yeah. we'll sort you out. Is that? No, absolutely. I think it's really, yeah, starting about thinking, you know, like what is important to you, talking to peers, like, you know, other impact investors definitely is a really good thing that can be tonic, that can be like Pimwimig in the Netherlands, Nexus or the Impact. So there are several organizations out there. Find the one that fits for you, but definitely talking to others is, is really important. And then I guess also figuring out, do you want to do this alone? Do you want to do it with your family? Do you maybe want to do it with a financial advisor? Also a really important part if maybe you're not, you know, so much into investing yourself. And yeah, then we always say, don't get discouraged, but also do, you know, get started. Maybe, you know, uh, tip your toe into the water with one investment that you try out. If it doesn't work out, that's, that's okay. You definitely learn a lot <laughs> by doing it. And what's something you've changed your mind about recently? in relation to your role in this this whole industry? I would say generally probably the, the role or the purpose of capital. I think that's certainly something like me coming from a more financial background and like very structured and so on. And let's say maybe a little bit more the philosophical conversation um, around like, okay, what is actually the role of capital? Maybe the capital, you know, in itself is not the system that we need. Also thinking about maybe, you know, measuring our economy in GDP. It's maybe not the right way to do it. Maybe, you know, global happiness in this, rather something like that would be the way to do it. And I'm um, educating myself a little bit more in these theories, you know, around systems change also now. And to see like which role can impact investors and I as an intermediary and maybe facilitator play in this system. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful the the evolution of self and the evolution of the world right ideally we're all transcending up to a higher level of of consciousness essentially i mean yeah and um thank you so much for your time for those watching at home do download the new booklet have a look at all the regulatory changes that are going on it's a good idea to get yourself up to speed and you know pick something put that first step forward and go for it. Uh, if you need any help in communicating what you're doing, we build investor engagement systems for your brand and your business and your impact fund. And it's just a really, it's just an exciting time. You know, there's so much to do in the world if you're an optimist, because uh, the alternative is not being an optimist and <laughs> that'll get you down quick. Um, yeah, thank you very fully, much. Fully agree. Thank you so much, Philip.